0: Hello and welcome to Bullet Points. Uh, this is the Bullet Points podcast. We haven't done one of these, a normal one of these, in quite a while. I think we did some end-of-year stuff. We did some Call of Duty stuff. But now we're back with the real shooter of 2021. Uh, the COD Killer, they're calling it, the Halo Killer. The PC's killer app, Mundown. I- <laughs> Money. <laughs> I felt like I heard it in my head properly, and then... uh, Anyway, before we start here, I'm with Yusuf Cole, co-editor at Bullet Points. Yusuf, how are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks for putting this together uh, and getting me to play this game, because it's pretty neat.
0: Yeah, peer pressure works, (laughs) right? It's the only way. (laughs) And I am also joined by Gareth Damian Martin. Uh, creator of heterotopias and in other waters and also newest member of superculture the yep. the uh, kind of uh, rockefeller records of the video game industry
2: yeah i think we're i'm now obligated to appear on this podcast so it's
0: the all right yeah it sucks for you i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> um Gareth, how are you doing
2: I'm good. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm eager to uh, talk about the Romance language and figure out that I, I don't know anything about it at all, apart from sounds like Latin.
0: I, I also want to talk about that. Uh, but our final guest today is Edwin Evans Thirlwell, writer and critic, who you may recognize from having appeared uh, actually in the Bullet Points issue. We are just wrapping up right now on the medium and also on call of duty call of duty black ops cold war which you have to say in one single breath edwin how are you
3: i'm fine thank you thanks very much for having me on i too am keen to talk about mundan and to hear everybody pronounce it (laughs) and work out that i'm doing it wrong
0: (laughs) and pronounce it differently every time one of us says it um also, Evan, you reviewed this, right? I did. But it's but it's in. I was looking because I finished this game last night, and I was holding off on reading people's reviews of it until I'd finished it. And I went to find yours, and it's uh, you can't read it online yet.
3: Yeah, it's buried in this uh, curious medium we call print. It's um, <laughs> it's in the currently on sale issue of Edge magazine. I suppose I should be specific so that the editor will like me but i think it's uh, 357 is the issue number it's the one with death loop on the cover um
0: they don't even stock that in in uh north america i don't think
3: do I they subscribe.
0: not i'm a subscriber i don't think so well you're a subscriber Gareth.
2: yeah i love i love edge it. yeah <laughs> it's a really it's actually we'll just give it a give it a plug here because it's such a great issue it's got loads of great death loop stuff in it which i'm like I think you've already roped me into writing about Deathloop, even though it's not out yet for bullet I points, believe so. so. Yeah, and I'm I've now cool definitely roped myself into it by mentioning it on a
1: podcast. So, that's a
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, big mistake. That's uh, you can't go back from that. I
1: also love Edge and subscribe to it. Don't check whether I do or not. But editor- editors, <laughs> if you're listening, please hire me to write for you.
3: <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure they now- are now.
0: Yeah, I think they listen to every episode of this. <laughs>
1: They're av- avid um, bullet points.
3: Huge fans, yeah. yeah.
0: Every, every few months. Think...
1: It takes a while, but, you know, it's worth it.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so to introduce the game briefly here, uh, the game is called M-U-N-D-A-U-N. Uh, that's, that's the funny thing. They just spell it out. They they say you can pronounce it how you wish. Yeah. It's like that game um,
2: F-E-A-R. <laughs>
0: uh yeah that's (laughs) that's no one knows how to pronounce that either um i feel bad i'm not trying to make fun of like it feels pretty crappy to like be like oh it's a foreign place name and i just can't pronounce it but it's a hard one for my disgusting Anglo mouth to try to wrap itself (laughs) around um so it's it's mundown i think is is what i'll say it's a um uh horror game made by Hidden Fields that is set, um, I would say it seems like it's maybe the 1910s or 1920s, um, in this tiny little alpine village. Uh, You play as a character, a young man who uh, grew up in this village after his parents uh, died. He was raised by his grandfather, and then he went to the city and has been living away from the, the town of Mundown until he hears that his grandfather has died. So he comes back, and then spooky things are quickly afoot. Um, I'll go to, uh, Edwin, I'll go to you first, and I just kind of want to ask you generally what you thought of this game.
3: I really enjoyed it. I mean, um, I had some reservations. I think I had some reservations, which now I look back on, I feel that perhaps just missing the point a bit um, about Not so much the handling of combat in it but the just the presence of combat it kind of felt like a kind of an aftershock from another game in some ways for this 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 game to have this kind of um, first person melee and shooting kind of side to it Um, but it's it's a wonderful um, kind of folk horror story very focused on the figure of a mountain kind of almost sort of like journey in reverse you're kind of traveling towards the summit of this mountain in the course of um investigating the mystery of your grandfather's demise um and the mountain is kind of visible everywhere in the world it's always sort of bearing down on you to some degree um and just to launch straight into being extremely pretentious there's a passage from wordsworth it kind of reminds me of um william Wordsworth, a romantic poet wrote uh the prelude which is this um well basically it's a grand poem set in the lake districts and uh north england and it's kind of held up as a great totem of romantic literature but it's um he talks about swimming or taking a rowing boat out on the lake at night at one point and through a trick of perspective seeing this giant cliff kind of appear over the kind of landscape behind him and appear to be chasing him across the lake and i was very much reminded of that when playing mundan because this this mountain is this kind of wonderful kind of two-horned um you know kind of blacker than black shape which is sort of even visible at night, it's so kind of crystal clear. And the the, the aesthetic kind of varies in terms of how obscure it is um, you deliberately. like There are times when things seem to sort of vanish into sort of smoke almost through this kind of, this sort of hand-penciled art direction. But the mountain is always there and it's always sharp and it's always sort of focusing on you and you're always focusing on it. Um, so that's kind of, you know, it's been a while since I've played a game which has such a distinctive landmark holding it all together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: i think um i definitely want to come back to i think everything in this game kind of relates to that central image of the mountain and it's i think what struck me a lot about this game was how focused it is how sort of i think this is kind of like a lazy word to use to describe something that comes together very well but it's like a very very confident game it seems um very assured of what it's doing the entire time which uh i think i'm right in saying that this is the studio's first game so mm. it's pretty impressive to see um just i don't know, i don't know I'll, I'll get back to that because i want to kind of get at it in different ways and you not know, take over at the beginning um but I'll throw to you, Gareth, as well about your sort of general feelings about this game.
2: Yeah. Um, no, I'm. I love the love the game, and um, I think Michelle Ziegler, the the kind of, I mean, I think he's essentially a solo developer, maybe a bit like me on In Other Waters with other kind of contractors helping him. So I think he kind of, he's the majority of Hidden Fields as far as I'm aware, and um, I think he did have a previous game called The Colony. Uh, which yeah m- maybe we can talk about that later because it connects to the aesthetic in an interesting way but um in terms of in terms of my feelings on the game is i i think like the thing that really struck me with this game in particular is its relationship to artifice i think um and the artifice of being drawn and um of of having a world that's not necessarily Designed to be kind of at first, um, its first intention is not to be convincing or or believable in a way, or that kind of is constantly coming under question in terms of how this because the game itself is uh, for people who don't know is um, is made of polygons, but they're all textured with hand drawn textures, and so the game doesn't really look you know it like a drawing in a way. It looks like a someone. Drew on top of a video game, or it—it's kind of like it has this weird tension with itself between three D and two D um, and pencil sketch and polygonal edges, um, which is just feels incredibly aesthetic, aesthetically kind of sophisticated when it's combined with the the premise of the game, which is always about some kind of supernatural quality that that's um, that's kind of beneath everything or like running like a um like a vein in the in the rock you know beneath the the town and like through the bodies of the people in the town and there's the kind of sense of history and um of of uh you know past events kind of always underneath the surface and then it has this kind of surface obsessed uh aesthetic and yeah i think that's the thing that that more so than just the kind of the 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 story or the the Um, journey that it takes you on was I just I found that constantly compelling throughout the game and the game kind of plays with that in a way that felt so uh, self-aware of what it was doing aesthetically rather than just going oh we're just going to make a horror game that looks nice and pencil sketches look nice and this is you know it feels like it really engages with the the craft of its own aesthetic but also the the kind of ways in which its own aesthetic fails or uh, doesn't quite uh it fails at being believable or or kind of fails to achieve what video games are expected to do in terms of fidelity and so yeah that I think that's like that's my lasting impression from the game is just of something which is um has an aesthetic and conceptual sophistication that like you say kind of comes together in a way that feels incredibly coherent um
0: yeah and that um i mean that's that's one of the things that i think gives it that sense of uh completion and sense of uh, like confidence over what's being done um we'll definitely talk about this more as we go on but i think the story of this game itself if you just describe it it's essentially a story of um you know someone making a deal with the devil and the consequences of that uh a few generations down the line which if you just described kind of how this game plays out um like Wikipedia plot summary style I don't think it would sound very interesting um, but I think the the ways in which it tells that story and the, the ways everything is presented um, it's also very much a game about I think how stories are passed down it's it's about folk legend in uh, in the setting but it's also you know about how a story, is told and presented and the game is like very explicit about that there are you know things later in the game where kind of the fabric of the reality of of what you're seeing is affected by paintings um mm. depicting things which which you see right in the opening too with the you know there's a central character is this um kind of shifty painter called is he serpentini yeah <laughs> which,
2: giovanni Giovanni yeah serpentini. He,
0: you know never trust anyone with serpentini (laughs) as the last name it's (laughs) my family's name (laughs) 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 poor poor evil osos and serpentinis (laughs) um but you have things like uh you know what what gareth is talking about the way the game is presented where everything is you know you feel like you're looking in a sketchbook and then the game also uh well not quite like a sketchbook it is gareth like you said like video, very video gamey, but, or, or digital looking, but with that layer of sketchiness on it, but then you're also referencing the sketchbook constantly throughout the game. And the way that information is passed down is, is through objects and paintings and, uh, a book that you find and sort of tales that people have told. Um, anyway, though, Yusuf.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, uh, think, I mean, I totally love that the way Gareth like uh describes the aesthetic it really makes a lot of sense uh and puts words to what is my impression as well like I, I really like the idea of of combining the um because there is a lot of more straightforward charcoal sketching uh, in the in the picture the paintings you see the the drawings your, your stuff in your book but then the where it interacts where where it then layers on top of the of the simplistic 3d of the world there's that shift where it it is interesting because it's portraying you know something in a normal in another game it might be photorealistic approaching uh it's you know it's wrapping that in a layer of 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 art essentially or of of of, of drawing and, and and craft and is it is tying it to the the painterly and, and the drawing tradition of the town, where it seems like all history is is contained within um, these these paintings and and your own characters um, kind of like sketching of 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 uh, listen to narratives and passed down stories. So it's really interesting how uh, there those dual like there is the the, um, the kind of the the more typical drawn history but then it gets mapped onto the, the 3D world um in a very like direct way that also then informs the, the aesthetic in a really cool way and it also makes that what in another game might be, be visual like you know normal um, representation of reality now you're looking at something that feels surreal that feels uh creepy um it adds to the horror of it, yet it's not just about it looking like kind of adding like a a layer of visual interest. It's also just like this is a choice to to make the world feel just that much more unnerving, which is like really impressive because it's black and white. It's not, um, you know, they're not leaning into more um, outlandish uh, visuals, like even though the, when it when gets dark, it gets pretty creepy and dark. But I think because it has that 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 feeling of just looking dull like, especially the characters looking very like artificial and very um like yeah, like you wrap this form in in charcoal art. Um it makes that form more mysterious and more more frightening. So I think that's like a really interesting it's just the the, the visual choice is so interesting in this game. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, totally. I think there's this sense of like, that I I kept coming back to this idea of like that the game was kind of screaming at me like images have power, or <laughs> or like drawn images have power, or that there's there's some some kind of like terrifying power that is inside a a sketch, um, and and almost like that it must be torturous to be to live inside a sketch. You know that if you if you were an artist with a magical pen um and all your sketches came to life they would be kind of malformed unfinished beings and so many of the characters have that kind of like they they there's like a, i think one of my favorite ones is like the guy who's half buried in the snow the like oh,
1: yeah. old
2: mm. soldier and all he wants is schnapps mm. to like warm himself up and he's he's just like some people like everyone's existing in their own weird unformed reality um, that around them, their their kind of subjective context, and they're just the you know the the priest's kind of baby cherub, like baby cherub face that looks like it, he's almost hmm. like he's made out of drawings, the drawings that are inside his church, you know, inside his painted church. He's like kind of fashioned from the remains of saints that were painted on the walls, and it's, it's like over and over again, it it keeps kind of hammering. It has this wonderful effect i think it's one of my favorite things in the game which is when you look at something uh, a picture then that like the game zooms just like mm. slowly dollies into the picture and starts playing audio related to the image and and then there's the more extreme version of that in the mirror scenes where like you look in a mirror and then it dollies in and then your entire face kind of i don't know gets scribbled over or but but that also kind of reads as becomes burned or your eyes can't start like wheeling in their sockets in the kind of mad way. And it, it has like, yeah, it it's almost like it, it allows it to enter into that abstract space where it's like when you look at yourself in the mirror in this game, you couldn't say what's happening to your character's face or body because what's happening to it is kind of in the language of drawing or sketch and not, it doesn't have an exact parallel you know, it 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 looks like charred charcoal, but that's because it's using charcoal, and it looks like, um, you know, violence or or like, um, you know, decay. But it's not those things either. It's it's just a kind of scribble. I think that's yeah. I did. that's something that like feels very very powerful, um, and also kind of personal. I think because I can't help but feel like knowing that that michelle drew those textures by by hand and kind of i don't know it's hard not to read that kind of personal element into it as well
3: yeah when there are all those kind of easels set up everywhere it's kind of it feels almost as though he's just kind of forgotten to take his equipment with him (laughs) with him after after finishing um i wanted to kind of relate the uh I, i think that's a really interesting discussion of the um artistic choices and i wanted to kind of relate that to the use of miniatures in the game because in addition to the um, two-dimensional images in the canvases you're always finding miniatures of the town some of them are kind of encased in puzzles I think there's one that's kind of like trains going into tunnels which anticipates um, you driving into a tunnel I can't quite remember the order Um, and then there's a kind of a a hidden diorama you can find which kind of triggers this nice little interlude where you you go sledging with another character and that kind of maps back onto the mountain as a whole, because the thing about the summit is that it's you know it's very obviously set up as Devil Horns, and so there's a sense in which you are climbing the flanks of this huge bipedal being of which the head is just visible coming out of the top. Which again, I guess, is is um, sort of mirrored in that in the, in the guy buried in the snow he bring schnapps to, um, and so there's an invitation to you know consider the world as a diorama, whilst also staring up at the immense horror which is you know staring down at you it kind of traps you between those perspectives of the kind of the devil looking down the mountain slope and you looking up it and seeing things as gigantic or as tiny at the same time it's it's a wonderful effect um,
0: there are things i was thinking of this of the miniatures as well um a moment at the end of the game and there are a few different endings i looked up a second one that was pretty basic kind of binary choice um but the i guess to introduce it like very briefly the crux of the game is you find out that your uh your character's grandfather uh was in the military uh in mundown and so very isolated a little mountain area and he was posted up with with uh, a few others you find in old um colonel maybe i can't remember what what he was walter i think his name is um and the priest and uh they think they look out over um uh, through this barn up and they see what looks to be uh you know a whole battalion of troops advancing on them and there are about three or four of them so they you know the devil appears as an old man and says you know you you don't have to die here um give me the soul of an unbapt- an unbaptized soul and I'll, I'll save your lives they do that trick him with a goat which we got to talk about that goat a bit later <laughs> on a <laughs> very good goat uh alegria um but uh, so then he, you know, the the devil causes an avalanche to come down and bury the the opposing army. Um, in one of the endings of the game, you find out uh, if you kind of go back and you stop your grandfather from from signing this pact with the devil, and then you go out to investigate why these soldiers aren't advancing. You climb up the hill and you see that it's a trick of perspective and the enemy soldiers are little toy soldiers that have been set up um, so that lamps make them look huge in silhouette makes it look like there are actual you know adults walking toward their position Um, and it is such a great crystallization of a lot of different things that the game has been playing with up until that point Um, there's a lot of stuff in this game about matters of perspective which I think is kind of what we've all been talking about a little bit too about um you know yeah. how the the art style of this game really helps to tell its story um or or doesn't help to tell a story but tells its story um there, there's so much stuff in it that is just really brilliantly done there's you know just one more thing from that vein is when you do kind of confront um kinda of the source of the evil in the mountain, you kinda of go through this essentially like office, a multi tiered office that's deep in a cave and it's like the devil's administration area, essentially. <clears throat> and you get up to his where he's uh keeping the files on people whose whose souls he has or or the villagers of Mundown who he's keeping tabs on. Um and you see the textures of the characters. Yeah. um like if you're looking at a, a video games uh like a 3d model uh each angle or each mm-hmm. i don't know i'm sure there's there's a proper technical way to put this on oh, like a like saying, an unwrapped
1: but... uvs yeah yeah, actually, yeah. Mm. wow and
0: <laughs> and so you see that the you know the the devil in in down essentially looks is is keeping records of people based on kind of their component parts um and it's just, it's so cool. It's you know because you have that sense then that you know the the chaos of hell here is actually chaos. You know it's it's an unraveling of of what seemed maybe to be full people and you know there are obviously a lot of implications in that with um, with a lot else that the game is doing with storytelling and myth and anyway I've been rambling on for too long.
2: No, I love that bit as well. It's such a that was when I was like, that was my stand up and applaud <laughs> moment when I saw those texture sheets in the frame. Cause I was just like, Oh yeah. Like it's just that nice thing where you've been thinking something the whole time. And then the game kind of says it back to yeah. you, you know? Yeah. And it says like, yes, I know, I know what I'm doing. I know, you know, it gives you that sense of confidence that you're like, Oh, this reading and this experience of it is valid because it's actually implicit now. Um, and there's something about, yeah, the, the modernity of the devil in this, or like the this kind of weird office, Kafka-esque office. And there's a lot, I, I don't know, there's a lot, it feels like there's a lot of stuff going on there that i yet to kind of pick out all of it. But this, because there's also the kind of National Redoubt um, uh, Swiss bunker, like classic Swiss mm-hmm. mountain bunker as well. And there's, yeah, there's something about the devil being the one who has the sort, like the source code, but was also like unwrapped these people into flat documents, um, which is just such a wonderful symbol, but it's not, it neither kind of becomes a very literal metaphor, nor does it, is it something that the devil explicitly references or kind of, um, and I I don't know if he's ever referred to as the devil, actually thinking about it. It's only kind of ever the old man, right? Right. Um, Yeah. But that, that kind of, There's something nice as well about those, the way those images are just left to, to like be there, but then not pushed in either direction, not pushed to being like very obvious metaphors and not pushed to being some kind of in fiction world building, but just left as very powerful symbols, knowing that people who play it will kind of get what they are when they see them.
0: Yeah. And there is, I mean, I don't want to pick at this too much, at least not yet because um, I was worried that a lot of how I was thinking about this game was based on, well, it's it's Swiss, and it's very Swiss. Um, and then playing the first little bit and thinking, well, that doesn't sound German or French or Italian. And then looking up this game and, and hearing that it was Romance, which is a language that I, I had never heard before, um, which is a like borderline um, extinct um, language in, I think it's like the fourth official language of Switzerland, um, yeah, not very widely used. It's think a
2: percentage is... point, I think, of the population, speak <laughs> romance.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think is survived only in, into modern times, only thanks to, you know, similar to uh, like language revivals across the world of, of, Languages going extinct from people sort of doing their damnedest to keep it alive. Um, and there's, that kind of led me to, I guess, think a bit about this game as saying something specific about Switzerland and, and the fact that it's, it's very much set with, you know, you have this military tradition and you're thinking, well, Switzerland, like when's the last sort of invasion that was happening there? Um, and then seeing that office stuff and the kind of, you know this evil as being wrapped up in administration and uh, and military outfits, hidden addicts, and the sense that you know your grandparents' generation may have been up to things that uh, you have a hard time grappling with. And so much of this game feels like I don't know. It feels too simple to put it this way, but a lot of it does read to me as partially a response to Switzerland's you know, modern history, um, bureaucracy and, and kind of the evils of complacency, not complacency, but I don't know, neutrality. And anyway, I don't want to go like fully off board on that though. Like I did want to ask you, Edwin, when you were talking about, because I think this does figure into a lot of the stuff we were discussing already. When you were saying that you came around on like the inclusion of combat in this, I'm kind of curious what you're what you're talking about with that.
3: I'm not sure. Uh, I'd say I, I came around on it. I, I mean, to me, it felt. I mean, well, to give a sort of an overview of it, um, you have a kind of uh, melee, sort of lightweight melee system, which involves finding pitchforks, which kind of break after a few swings, um, and then you find bullets for a gun, which you eventually acquire, kind of further up the mountain just at the point when you're going to really need it because you start encountering other, well, you start encountering undead soldiers, basically. Um, so it's not too obtrusive, but it just, it felt to me like, I don't know, I'd be interested to hear discussion of this because for me, what I kind of wanted from that game in terms of its threat, if it's, more, its more immediate threat was something almost akin to Slender, the eight pages, something which is more, you know, something watching from afar and slowly encroaching, which kind of constrains movement, not quite as intense as, Slender Man obviously because you know that's a fairly intense game um, but you know what What I got instead was this much more sort of well what felt to me quite sort of lumbering you know walk up to things and hit them in the back you get a bonus damage notification um, there's you know the weapon deterioration is you know just a bit annoying it, it feels like there are kind of like these sort of half digested elements of um, a more generic game in there The enemies themselves are are very interesting. I mean, they're they're kind of they range from the soldiers to there are these kind of creatures you encounter early on who are kind of these wicker or straw coated figures, very, um, very wicker man who uh, basically throw, as far as I can tell, throw handfuls of straw at you and gradually wrap you up in the straw until you become immobile. And I guess by implication, one of them, which is probably worth reading against some of Gareth's points about um, the kind of the art direction and the um, the way the sort of the, the pencil works, disinter- of I can't quite remember specifically what you were saying. Um, so they're they're interesting in concept and kind of fairly horrendous to encounter. But then you sort of have to tackle with them again and again, and it becomes a bit of a kind of a laborious, kind of sneaky, stabby experience. And then further up, there are these beekeepers who also sort of well, they're, they're not killable, and they just kind of chuck handfuls of bees at you, essentially. And none of it. I mean, to be clear, none of it is ruinous. Um, and I'd be interested to hear, like you know, probably a more intelligent reading of of, of that system than the one I am giving. But it, to me, it felt very much like a, a sort of a holdover from some earlier conception of the project that wasn't the developer wasn't really able to remove once you know, once it came to ship. So
2: I think there's a yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I, I found it very. Like the combat to be quite clumsy in a way that was obviously purposeful, but then hmm. not necessarily good purposeful. Yeah, you know it did. It, 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 and I, but one thing that really struck me about the game was that it had this different DNA to the first-person horror game as we kind of think of it. Like when I was thinking of how little it kind of shares in a way with something like Frictional. Games as you know, Soma and things, and, and Amnesia, it, it so, does share some things with those, but it has so much um, material kind of cribbed and um, borrowed and inspired from from um, Half Life 2's Highway Seventeen chapter, mm. in terms of giving you the the vehicle and sending you on this road and through these tunnels and kind of having you making the vehicle kind of a powerful tool that can can be used in combat and then depriving you of it or making you go away from it and come back to it and work your way up. Um, and also leaving kind of little huts or whatever by the side of the road as optional hmm. kind of mini encounters. Um, some of them almost like puzzle encounters where you kind of, because you can set fire to hay, right? To to And then there are like trails of hay, which leads to haymen. Um, And so there's like a couple of huts where if you find the bit of hay, you can light the hay and then that hay runs into the room and burns the inside of the room. And then when you go in there, you've already got rid of the enemy. And invariably there will be a, a item in there. And I think a lot of the combat is also tied to the kind of strange item economy of having coffee that makes your fear... Uh, like you more resistant to fear food, I think it's like bread and cheese which makes your health higher and these little rifle training manuals that make your rifle skill better Um, and I think I almost maxed out all of those and I can't imagine what it would have been like to use the rifle without maxing out all of those (laughs) because I found it to be almost impossible to hit a barn door at five paces so I don't know what those do but it felt it felt like in that very Half-Life Two way. If you want to have a design, an open design, and maybe this is this is the sympathy, my sympathy towards Michelle as a as a fellow game designer. But you need to put a load of gumph in your game to get people to get out of the car and go to that little hut and have that feeling of exploration. That you know hmm. that you're like acquiring resources somehow, or and it felt like so much of that. Reminded me a lot of that feeling in in um, Highway Seventeen, where you're driving down the the road um, in that, and you kind of you look across at you find you see a, a destroyed house, and you think there's there's going to be something useful in there, but there's also going to be some some Half Life Two headcrabs, you know, there's going to be some zombie guys hiding upstairs or whatever. Is it worth it? How much ammo have I got? What do I want to do? And it felt like the game wanted to engage with those things. But then also, that was in, that was an incredibly ambitious thing for this game to do, and so it ended right. up kind of falling in the middle. But I don't, I felt like I, I really appreciated that design sensibility of getting in a car, and I, I don't know that that sense of openness. I'm a big fan of of kind of open closed spaces, like these little hubs that that the game has where. You have an objective, but there are also kind of little side things you can go see, and there's there's actually loads of little shortcuts in this game, and um, y- you know you can act, the more you unlock of the world, it never blocks off any previous parts. You can kind of drive all the way back down to the opening area if you want, and there's actually th- kind of rewards for doing that. There's items that you can like the gun you can get. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the only way you get it, um, but you can get it earlier by going back down the mountain, and so yeah, I don't. It, it feels like the, the, the actual moment-to-moment combat of, yeah, like tr- getting up close to a hayman and trying to stab him with your fork is a pretty miserable experience. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really appreciate the, the design ideas that kind of led to that having to be there in a way. I mean, like, because otherwise, uh, if you didn't have those rifle manual pages, if you didn't have any combat, if you didn't have any health or that fear effect... And there would be no reason to go in those rooms, from a, you know, if you're a purely mechanical kind of focused player, I guess. Um, so it's yeah, I I have a lot of sympathy for for the tension I saw there from from the design.
1: I think from my yeah. from my experience, like because I haven't played the whole game, it's kind of interesting to to hear you guys talk about it. Just because, uh, like I only have done like the first <coughs> uh, the first day or so. So like the first day night cycle and like it is you know the first night is truly horrifying you know uh leaving the church and having to wander back through the the haymen, um and and kind of hitting one and then it gets back up and then you realize how weak you are and how how much you know i just at some point just it felt very natural to kind of turn around and run and get in the house and close the door and kind of bolt the windows felt very much like a horror experience that added to the sense of, of terror in the game and having to put the candle in the window which is really cool um, all that worked really well I get, but I could absolutely see it starting to lose bite uh, if it becomes a repetitive action like in that you know which is something that I'm sure we all understand uh, as like a frustration of games is that a lot of this stuff becomes more dull through repetition so I could I could totally see that becoming like a path that this element has. Uh, But for for now, for me, like I I actually, yeah, I've been I appreciate having gone through that moment because it also then uh, layers on top of the daytime moments when you're pretty safe. This element of well, I know I'm not actually safe. Like I know that these bales of hay are probably going to turn into monsters once the sun goes down. And it gives that that feeling of, of or that puts the world in that on that edge, on that precipice, so that you, you you're not always, you're not fully ever at peace, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah,
3: I, I think I would say actually just um, in response to some of the things that Gareth was saying, um, I, I like I like the generosity of of that design as as you sort of characterised it with the kind of the, there is always going to be some gump or something to pick over and and the houses and. The other side of it is that I think, for me, the combat elements uh, become more forgivable when you see them as a kind of an extension of the sort of domestic routines that are woven through the game. Like you're getting coffee to, you know, increase your sanity because there's this kind of amnesia style. You know, uh, you lose movement abilities if you kind of see something disturbing. Um, but you know, it's not not very. It isn't very long until getting the coffee becomes the point of the experience. The ritual of kind of finding the water and the saucepan. Um, interacting with a house, which is clearly somebody's house, which has their belongings in it, um, and so I think those kind of elements become more enjoyable if you see that as and as part of the way the game sort of helps you make yourself at home, even you know amidst all this horror. Um, and the other thing I was just going to say is that it's also there's, there are kind of moments of, you know, I think unintentional but you know solid humor, where like I mean, you, I, I spent had quite a nice kind of escap- escapade where I basically just parked the car on top of one of the wicker men. Um, and then it was just basically trying to get up and doing chip damage to itself for about two minutes because the car wasn't quite finishing it off. And I, I just got out and smoked my pipe and kind of watched it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of like you mess with me. That's what you get.
1: You get the move all. Yeah, there, there is a,
2: a slightly emergent quality to to like those encounters as well, which I do think the game benefits from. Like I when I got the key to go back to the the father's study and get the rifle uh, after all the time that I kind of, I, I kind of drove all the way back down the mountain. And when I arrived back down at the house, it was raining um, and the rain sound effects in the game are also very, mm-hmm. I mean, the sound generally is incredible, but yeah. It, it, yeah. in the house, there's kind of different rain sound effects depending on which room you're in, which is kind of incredible um, in the sense of space. It gives you the difference between a kind of steel roof and a tiled roof and a Um, but that just that sequence of me going into the house to get the in the rain to get the rifle coming back down and my the the arrival of my um, moval had drawn in a group of straw men so then like hopping in the the moval and then having to turn the ignition key and turn on the headlights while they kind of the straw men slowly approached the vehicle and then closed it down and they kind of swerving out of there and running a couple over and and that was all you know kind of player directed um stuff and so yeah i i really welcomed that side of the combat as well that it did it did create some slightly more dynamic elements at least i mean not not incredibly dynamic but just that the possibility for that kind of piece when you you have an interaction of the the car with the enemies and the weapons is kind of enough to Give it a bit of life, I think.
0: Um the sound is the sound design in this game is is something I specifically wanted to mention as well. Because I think, you know, obviously you look at screenshots of this this game in action and it's very striking. It's very much what it is. It's it's unique. Uh the sound in this game though is absurdly good. (laughs) It's uh, Like the the soundtrack is, um, just super evocative. It's you have I think you you start up the game and it, it's kind of standard horror stuff, but it's incredibly effective at what it's doing. Um, you know, it has these low sort of like horn bellows and stuff that are going on, and this great like dramatic, um, which. which you know ties into the sense of this this big gothic like drama of this place um and there are also moments when uh i was i was going to say about the the kind of monsters you fight sometimes they're a little bit goofy looking um when they're kind of shambling around and and uh if you get up close to them they can be kind of funny looking there's um I, i'm sure there's a specific name for this in in uh local folklore but there's essentially a yeti walking around at one point with a bell on its neck and uh, when you first encounter this thing it's i think actually was the most uh just sort of viscerally freaked out i was in this game because it grabs you and drags you and impales you on an icicle which you you get down from like pretty easily which you know i think an icicle would hurt this game needs to be completely realistic (laughs) is what i'm saying um
2: it just melts just melts if you get impaled on the icicle that's true actually fine yeah um
0: (laughs) but it's it's like excuse me uh it's one of the most surprising and kind of horrifying things that happens in this game and it's almost entirely i think because of the sound is uh just the sound of the roars of these monsters and this yeti thing even you see it kind of like you know it's it kind of goes on a on a routine up at the near the top of the mountain and it's you know kind of goofy looking it's it's like moving along like a south park character almost but it's it's got this bell that's like kind of clanging like a like a cow's bell and it's just there's something about it that's very wrong and uh especially when it's introduced to you by by dragging you around and screaming at you and and you know impaling you on an icicle um and there's this thing throughout that i think the combat kind of accomplishes by having these folklore creatures that um a like kind of give color to the story and do you know do add something else to it. like you have these beekeepers floating around and you have these Sort of like wind up looking soldiers and and these wicker people and everything, and it enhances the idea that you know that this is a story about um, very regular things seeming imbued with supernatural evil, and uh, and uh, it's just the way that they actually manage to make them seem threatening is sometimes like feels like quite an accomplishment. It's kind of like uh, his
1: childlike perspective, right? Because I remember where the beekeeper is like, you see the painting in the study where he's like, I always hated this painting. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Before before he kind of introduces them, before you see them. And it's like the idea of like, you know, like as a child, I was surrounded by folklore that was horrifying. Uh, and then I went to the city and then I came back and I realized that it, just, it was all real. It's all actually... Did exist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there's
2: such a strong sense of inheritance to the to the entire game in that sense as well. Like the, all of these pictures of people doing things in the past, like um, folklore, hmm. and it's clear. You know, the the game has um, various Swiss cultural foundations on its credits. So it clearly became a big. You know, there's clearly a, an element of the game there. Like especially also putting romance in a in a video game, which I'm sure was very a good thing to put on a funding application if you can do it. Um, But the, you know, there's a, there's a sense there of like really leaning heavily into the particularity of, of what a Romanche horror, like video game is, or like a a Swiss mountain horror video game and really, really pushing on like, Oh, these, um, because I've seen pictures of the straw men and I think it's, it's a tradition to dress like that. There's some kind of folkloric tradition because um, I've seen pictures of people wearing those costumes before, mm. um, but even the lang and like the roman the fact the is you kind of it apparently comes it comes from the dregs of the Roman Empire and that's why it has that weird Latin um, lilt to it. And you hear that you hear the kind of Latin terms, or at least I did. It might be something mm. to do with having a Romanian partner, and um, it, it has kind of those similar elements as Romanian does in the sense that it draws very directly from Latin. And I kind of heard uh, hints of that and I guess maybe I, again like with the folk horror stuff it's something I was picked up in in Romania because also Romania has a lot of this kind of similar wonderful like dressing up as a bear at New Year's and, and dancing in the street kind of folkloric traditions that have been preserved um, and you know will take place on the streets of Bucharest and the capital city. and. Yeah, I think there's something really strong about the particularity of those folklore creatures that even if you don't know, the game really bets on this idea that even if you don't know what these things are because the representations are so particular, they have a power because mm. because they in a way like they grew out of a kind of power, you know, for the people who lived there. Some the 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 bell seems to the bell yeti thing seems to cause avalanches or at least i swear it caused an avalanche for me at 1. point. and with its big gonging bell i did wonder if it was a kind of you know my my um th- my br- i started theorizing about whether or not this creature was connected to the idea of accidentally causing avalanches you know through sound. this kind of sonorous bell sound or and this i don't know there's just something about the like the haymen you know that they the, the hay is a part of the it's clear that hay is part of the life and the, the agriculture of the area and then the you know you collect it in the movable but then also it's the same material that makes up your enemies and I think those things feel very strong um, because mm-hmm. of that leaning into the particularity of the setting and the language and the, the folklore and, um, and the idea of yeah this character like you said discovering all the stories they were told as children are actually true
1: yeah like like the hate man would look like you know like because they have the the way it's bailed up when it's collected it, it look into basically a mm-hmm. scarecrow form more or less i mean it's like it looked like it was a scarecrow or something approach like i was like why would you ball it up like this if you weren't trying to make it look like a person um but then like you can see that being the perspective of him as a child where he's looking out his window at night and then you're like and then you do when you look at your window at night You wonder whether you're looking at the monster or whether you're looking at an inanimate object, and that's those like you know, it makes that that enemy design makes that much more sense if you're thinking if you're seeing it through the perspective of the main character revisiting his childhood like nightmares
0: basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that. Oh, sorry.
2: No, I was just going to mention the spike chopping board that he put oh on my his God, chest yes. you know, yes. to protect. Oh, it was yeah. just incredible, <laughs> so just good. absolutely. He's like my my. Gra- I remember my grandfather used to wear this uh, to protect himself from evil spirits. So I guess yeah. I'll just put it on my chest without go- comment. Without going- going-
1: putting it back in. Yeah, exactly.
3: I very much want one to be honest. It's like, it, seems, it seems completely transferable to my life. Um, it's it's yeah. the
0: old Swiss version of a weighted blanket. It yeah. helps soothe the <laughs> nerves. <laughs> I mean, going to sleep in
2: the game is terrifying. Generally, the game loves to make you lie down and just stare at the ceiling knowing oh, that there yeah. are monsters there. Yeah.
3: yeah. And you don't always get the spiky board, do you? There are times when you have to go go without it. Um, I was going to say that I think, I feel like in response to some of the things you've said, it's, it's, you could almost call it, it's, it's like it's one of those anti-world building games because it trusts you to, as you say, um, be interested in some very specific mm. things, and you know, and to obviously do a certain amount of working out yourself. But you know, the, the kind of the, the deciphering of it all isn't really, you know, required. It's just that the intrigue, you know, the, the intrigue and in, is, is enough by itself. Um, I, th- I think that's you know, it's really lovely to discover a game like that because so many of the games that I play are very much grounded in a very specific kind of big budget idea of kind of universe context. Um, and it's nice to play something which kind of has its own completely or sort of brusque feeling framing at times. Like it, it starts, it just sort of chucks you into the mystery. You kind of walk into the barn where your, your grandfather has been burned, and you're immediately sort of swept up in this question of magical paintings. And the, the old man grabs you by the, the wrist and transforms your hand into something ghastly. And it's like there's no you know kind of like attempt to sort of build up to these things, or in the kind of the I don't know, I'm I'm trying to think of a comparison, but I suppose just the kind of more generic, big-budget sense. It's just kind of, you're just left to kind of make sense of it all.
0: Well, yeah, you're not given a a menu codex of of saying these different things, which is, I mean, part of what I think is really is refreshing about this game. Um, It is something I know we've talked about in this podcast over the years, and it's feels like damning with faint praise to say you know it kind of clears the inch high bar of of a game that i think is is willing to um uh, willing to present itself as something artistic that the audience can can deal with as they please that is not going to uh, need to walk you through why everything that's in it is in it um which you know is is, I think, sort of antithetical to a lot of what you see in a, a lot of big-budget games that are, I think, pretty anxious to make sure that um, no one doesn't understand exactly everything that they were explicitly trying to say with with the game. Um, it's funnily
2: yeah. en- enough, though, that's where I felt a lot of that Half-Life 2 DNA in a weird way, because I think people mm-hmm. forget... but But people like i played that game as a you know when it first came out and so as a teenager and that game explains almost nothing about what these like what the antlions are unless you really want to dig into it for example in the in the highway 17 section or what really the combine are or or how they what these structures are or what are what you know it doesn't have a codex it doesn't have diary pages those things all kind of came later and were added onto to the form that you know if you think of bioshock right it was very influenced by half-life but actually added a load of extra explanation and you know the the encouragement of a of a kind of building an entire narrative theology around the every single individual enemy and and which i you know Uh, as someone who's made a game with an entire taxonomy, I understand, but... but, um... Yeah, sorry to
0: shit-talk codex. No, no. (laughs) I hate,
2: no, I'm, you know, I've been replaying Dragon Age 2, and in that game, when you arrive anywhere, there's just a book sat on a log somewhere that tells you the entire history of the place you just entered, and it's terrible. Um, Well, there's nothing
0: wrong with that, necessarily. (laughs) I think I should, like, backtrack and say, and I'm not just saying this, like, yes, because In Other Waters has a lot of codices that are... (laughs) <laughs> important to no, you know to, um the sorry no
2: just just in reference to that like to me the the thing in the wars which I, I won't go on about the wars but they're all written by the main character and that's really important to me and in in a way like mundown also it's like i get like yusuf was saying it's it's all relative to the subjective experience of the main character and like that you know that horrible ice Uh, There is a, you know, that horrible ice impaling scene is foreshadowed relentlessly by paintings of those weird, uh, or drawings, I should say, of those weird frames with ice hanging off them, which I still Mm -hmm. have no idea. They're clearly a thing, like some kind of ice harvesting Swiss practice from, you know, 1880, whatever, but they... You don't have no idea what they are, um, and they just take on this kind of glowering power, and then you realize why they're so scary and powerful. It's because you're going to be impaled in sure. one, on one in about three hours' time. Um, <laughs> but the, yeah, I don't know. I just I might be alone in this, but the the kind of that Half Life Two had to me when I was young, I was had an incredible power on me over me as a as a, a game because it felt so underexplained and it felt so. Reliant on just powerful images, just the image of the the metal of the combined structures eating into the the Eastern European uh, architecture of city seventeen and you didn't need to need any world building to back that image up because that image told you enough, and you didn't need to know like the life cycle of a head crab to understand why you should be afraid of head crabs um mm-hmm. and i I do feel that there's some element of connection there. Uh, that it just reminded me of of that kind of type of game design. That in a way, like Mundown, feels like a throwback rather than a rather than necessarily an attempt to kind of make something experimental. And, and um, while aesthetically it's very feels kind of forward looking, a lot of it just to me felt like it was kind of going back to Stalker, to Half Life Two, to kind of PC games of a very particular uh, esoteric and creepy quality that became almost folklore in themselves because of that
0: yeah and i think maybe the thing i'd say uh gareth you and i messaged briefly about this before but at some point let's talk about half-life 2 because anyway. <laughs> i agree with what you're saying there but then also i i don't want to go off on a tangent about uh competing viewpoints of of the effectiveness of that like throughout the rest of the game yeah but i i definitely agree with what you're saying there but like um I, i think what works for me in this one and i find like maybe what i'm wanting more and more from uh from games and i mean it's something i always want from art in general and i think i want it more in games because it's so rarely given is an acknowledgement of the outside world um of Mm -hmm. of not just the the fiction of the game and of course that's always going to reflect the outside world but i mean like sort of a more explicit um way of saying that you know what what we're showing you here um is reflective of someone's uh, viewpoint as relates to their culture or you know religion or history or uh politics just something that's that's more directly tied to um you know the 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 kind of nuts and bolts of the world that we actually live in um if i don't know if that's the right way of putting it but like you know in this game it 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 made me want to it it made me feel like well if you don't quite understand what we're talking about here or or what we're showing you here it's out there for you to learn about if you want to learn more Mm -hmm. about um about what's being shown here with with switzerland and you know like right away i was thinking when's when's the last time switzerland was invaded and you know went to (laughs) look it up and it was uh i forget the name of the war it was it was the war that um a very brief war that essentially made switzerland into the form of uh government it is still today um which has been sort of how Switzerland has been positioned in going into the 20th century. Um, instead of having revolutions, it kind of had this very drastic overthrow of, of how democracy functioned and how political power is distributed in the country that, that led to, you know, uh, its participation throughout the 20th century and smack dab in the middle of Europe. Um, but but you know you look at this game and it, it shows you this and it's saying we're we don't need to give you a, an explicit history lesson here but here's something that is is coming from the real world and is trusting you to be someone who um can kind of handle that without having everything just given to you um yeah I, I don't know if that's the greatest way to explain it that sounds like sort of condescending or something but It's not that. It's 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 a recognition that a game doesn't have to be a universe unto itself, and it is a a product of people, you know, who have real world experiences.
2: Yeah, it's relational, right? And it's this game in particular is very relational in the sense that it puts a lot of also like different things alongside each other, like the the bunker, the kind of the the. Um, old war bunker that it feels more like a second world war bunker that's kind of anachronistically put in there that's kind of part of how switzerland you know swiss power in a way like is maintained through its through the alps through the idea that they could always retreat to the alps the swiss army could always just descend into these bunkers that exist um and there's kind of piping into the the devil's cave that suggests mm-hmm. almost that like the bunker and the devil's cave are hooked up directly to each other they're part of some kind of ecosystem that exists in this mountain um of power and and um there's so yeah and then it puts that alongside folk horror and it puts it alongside the romanche language and it puts it alongside the church which for a story that's not um that is about the devil the church is not portrayed as the solution um and there's a very explicit thing towards, at the end of the game, the kind of final encounter, like very specifically kind of limits mm-hmm. the power of the cross. Um, and the priest themselves kind of appears very weak or childlike, naive in in the face of everything that's happening. And it's, yeah, there's so many relational things like crammed into the game that that I agree there's so much to unpick there. And the game kind of leaves it very open for you to say, well, you know, this these are all of the, the things that make up this place um, of Mundown, which is a you know a kind of manifestation of some kind of Swiss every town, like Swiss Alp every town um, of a particular region, and yeah, that that feels very powerful. That it just puts itself in communication with with a lot of things that exist in the world.
3: I know very little about the kind of the history um, element of it, but I do find it. I find the idea that this is a uh, commentary on this. Essentially, a kind of like a, a commentary on a country which you know is surrounded by you know, typically more powerful neighbours, has sort of you know uh, survived by at, at key intervals, retreating to the mountains. The mountain being this kind of guardian figure, but also a obviously a sort of a portal to uh, diabolical energy. I find that really interesting. Um, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it makes me think about again thinking about other games. I can't think of other game i played lately in which I have not you know been on some way a representative of a what well, a real world game in which I've been some not been the representative of some sort of large you know ascendant power in the world some you know some kind of like uh, united states or kind of european imperial age equivalent which has you know much more sort of ability to extend itself um, whereas you know this is a country which is obviously you know yeah, it's, it's it's sort of has gotten by through um retreating and kind of holding fast and trusting to the terrain in, in as much as i understand it from the portrayal in the game so yeah
0: well it's really interesting too like edwin when you're saying at the beginning that this you know called to mind the uh uh woodsworth jesus um
3: <laughs> just Wordsworth, with not jesus
0: <laughs> uh but it called forth the you know sort of romantic imagery of this stuff and i think of this game when you first get off the bus and it's like this this beautiful like pastoral that you're walking up and there's and and this returns at the end of the game as well you get this um great contrast where when it's daytime it it's, sounds like summer, although it seems uh, like maybe it, it would be spring or something. Um, there's like, you know, the sound of, of bees buzzing around, and it's just very idyllic and uh, a lot less shadow than there is light, which is very noticeable in this game because of how it's, um, you know, all the pencil strokes that you see everywhere. Um, and you're, you're talking about this, and the mountain is, you know, this great. Uh, I, I must imagine for the Swiss because, you know, it certainly is for the Germans as well. Uh, this great um, image of, of the power of nature and the beauty of the landscape and, um, you know, kind of the the spiritual power of, of the nature, uh, of, of this country's nature. And then it turns into devil horns or you're looking at this beautiful lake and then, you know, this... Giant image of this demonic old man is is sprawled across it in the moonlight, or you know the stacks of hay are turning into uh, creepy monsters, and it's uh, there's there's something great in that as well that I don't think you see often in games. Sort of saying like, you know, look at look at the kind of beauty of of where this this game is set and. You know where the people who made it are from but also it's it's not this kind of um send up it's not like the poster card thing and i remember having arguments with uh ed smith uh about everybody's gone to the rapture which you know he said is sort of like a reminded him of of kind of like uh english like quaint english romanticism and uh, or not romanticism, but sort of like uh, pastoralism of of tourist postcards of what England is meant to be, and I think I don't agree with that It's a larger conversation. But I think that's sort of what you might expect from a country that is not um, as heavily represented in in video games um, when you're when you're trying to show off your country, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Mundown is is willing to kind of play with. imagery of like the alps being this beautiful scenic uh innocent place yeah absolutely rambling on again
2: yeah no i think i think i think that's a really good point though i think the engagement with romanticism is very interesting in mundown because um you know i i grew up um in part in the lake district and there's a bit when you arrive at that beautiful kind of crystalline tarn as i would in my brain i instantly go to tarn which is like the lake the, the kind of british word i guess but i guess i don't know if there's a swiss equivalent for the idea of a mountain lake like that but it was so reminiscent of um childhood kind of memories for me just seeing this tarn this kind of crystalline perfect lake set on top of a mountain and then i saw the kind of dry stone bothy type structure nearby and and kind of wandered over to that and was kind of slightly in this reverie of of, of remembering those qualities from my own childhood but then the thing that happens in that bothy is that somebody tries to hang you and i think that that i i think the game is eager to undercut the its own relationship with romanticism or eager Mm. to put the devil in the mountain right but not in a not in a way that wordsworth would have maybe approved of um (laughs) it's yeah, I, I think there's something definitely critical as well happening there, which is quite different to um, Rapture or... Yeah, there's some there's other games. I know what Ed means, because um, I think when you've maybe... I don't know, Edwin, Edwin might agree or disagree, I don't know, but when you've grown up in England, the kind of export Englishness can sometimes be very painful. I found, like, I Am Dead, for example, impossible to play, because it was just too... Uh, tuned into some kind of Englishness that I didn't identify with or recognize in any way um, and felt was only there, was, was there for export, which is, yeah, very yeah. particular. And so, yeah, I, so I, I think that that's interesting here because I, I, I don't know, maybe if you're Swiss and you come from the Swiss Alps, you might play this game and you might be like, no, it's it's the same thing. But I don't know. I, I felt like maybe Michelle was able to, also presented in a way that that seemed kind of yeah aware of the the innate kind of isolation and fear and paranoia and the the guy who wants you to get some toilet paper but, yes i was right. going to mention <laughs> yeah
3: and that's that particular moment is in the context of the, you're just about to get on the ski lift to go up to the mountain and there's this kind of amazing wonderful kind of um contrast between the sign they've kind of created a scale image of the uh, mountain on the sign and you're able to kind of I took a I lined up a screenshot which was one of my favorites from the game just of those two cardboard peaks overlapping the real peaks and so I think it's it's conscious of it's the fact that it's you know it's setting its aesthetic its history is a cultural export and and can be rendered twee in the way that like I think I'd probably agree with like I do, like everybody's gone to the rapture, and I think it's it's it's. Yeah. If you read it against, um, sorry, well, I feel like I'm such, I'm stepping into a bigger fight here, which I don't <laughs> want. to... <laughs> but um, I think, particular I I'll say briefly. I think if you read it against, for instance, what they did with um, amnesia and machine for pigs, it's you know there's a kind of a, an interesting hmm. sort of symbiosis there. Um, but everybody's gone to the rapture. You know, uh, it's it's has the golden lights. It has much more sort of i would say earnestly poignant music beautiful music but it's um you know it it feels very much like it's trying to elicit a uh, a nostalgic reaction um you know it, including in people who are not you know from england and you are kind of getting the sort of second hand nostalgia which seems to be kind of characteristic of britain's culture um for particularly people in the us and um whereas Mundown. um it's much more undecided, I think. It's much more ambivalent. There's the music, um, you kind of assemble a playlist for yourself in the course of collecting these wonderful tracks from different radio stations. But to me, you know, to my ear, these, these the tunes that you collect are kind of, they walk the line between sort of sounding notes of warning and between sort of, and, and songs that make you feel at home. Um, and, you know, it's, it doesn't seem as easily resolvable into a kind of, you know, heartfelt. A tribute to a place basically. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean it was it's interesting cuz just like so going back to the aesthetic uh, of it being inherently a little everything being inherently a little creepy because of how it is rendered. Like the pastoralism never fully comes off as beautiful to me. Is it this, I mean or maybe there's like a horror horrifying beauty in it. Um and a, and something uh, something almost I would say just unnerving in 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 how it is I think set against the environment just be and and maybe it's, it is different if if like I grew up in the Alps, but like being a you know bottom a land dweller <laughs> a sea level person <laughs> um, it just feels so unnatural right just to get off get off <laughs> of that bus and then look around and like even the bus ride up, it's like, I love how they do the hairpin turn right in the beginning, where it's just like, <laughs> it's so awkward to even get your character into this place, and then you look back and the bus disappeared into the fog, and you're like, okay, I'm just like in a totally different world now. I'm alone. It's like, and it might, I mean, I'm sure that dynamic will change a bit, but the early area, especially, is just like, where is everybody? <laughs> this is like, um, this super isolated super alien environment um that yes has some kind of version of sunlight but it's not like a warm inviting sunlight because it's gray and um and mm-hmm. overlaid with noise and fog and and the the music is is never quite settled so i think it's kind of an, even like like the aesthetic i think it then informs and it forms it so that it can it could never approach something like everybody's gone for the rapture, which is just like here's a postcard image of, of uh, a village.
0: Yeah, it, no, that's true. It um, I, I some of my memory of it might be colored by having finished it last night, and, you know, it does have the the sort of uh, familiar horror thing of things getting more and more tense and more and more ominous until a release, you know, um, Texas chainsaw massacre or something. Sure. Um, it, all, it's all at a certain point it's night. And then, well, that's not a great example because when it's daylight in that movie, it's horrifying too. Um, but you know, uh, uh, the horror trope of you're overnight in a haunted house. And when the sun comes up, you feel so much better because it's, the contrast of being out in the day again mm-hmm. um the end of Mondown, i think you you feel a pleasant day again and it it does seem a little less uh it seems a little more idyllic although it is yeah still touched by the stuff you're talking about yusuf there's um, a there's no, a sorry. kind of
2: weird affection in that fight at least in the ending i got as well which is the the I think I got the not hundred percent good, but partially good ending or whatever, however these things are structured. I don't know. But, um, but there's a weirdly affectionate element to that, to the going away and the, like, I didn't want, I didn't want to leave, which I thought was just mad at the end. Like, why would I not want to leave this place where I'd be kind of, especially as the, the, the hay men seem to get worse um, in the starting area. If you do go back down there as the game goes on, but it, there's, and the character reflects that with this this kind of like surreal moment right at the end where they're like, "Oh ha, ha my hay fork um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i I shouldn't take that down to the city and they they kind of lovingly prop it against the gatepost as if to say, I'll be back for the for the hay fork, you know when I next come up here, I'll need it to fight the <laughs> to fight the straw men, you know well, and um it gives you the optional objective of putting the gun back uh, in the loft, which I couldn't help but do um." Mm-hmm which felt incredibly powerful actually. Like one of the most powerful bits of the game for me was just that kind of weird sense of like, oh, I'm going to put my grandfather's gun back in this room. And then I, I I found myself going around the house and closing all the doors and turning off the lights before I left, almost mm. to delay the, you know, the inevitable leaving of the this kind of... And it's so bizarre for that game to end um, like that really, you know, because the, the it's true that it is, it does play into the cliche of like, oh, it, it was all sunny, it's all good in the end, and then there's that last-minute moment of, wait, it's not. Um, and I think in my version that the old man is driving the bus on the way back down the mountain, yeah. but, um, which is maybe a bit a cliché too far for me personally. But, yeah, I think that, that scene stood out for me as being, yes, it's this cliché, but it's actually also playing this kind of very funny game with you in terms of trying to make you care about this little town that's essentially on the the edge of hell, um uh, but but you know it's your it's your town or it's your family or it's your heritage um the, which is, yeah
0: the the priest says something right toward the end that um I still remember because it was you know short enough time since since I played it but it's it's a great thing that I think encapsulates that really well and I think encapsulates a lot of the the feel of this game because you you do talk about like if you want to read this as as um you know certain aspects of of family history or or national history and sort of the darkness behind um it's like pastoral images there's also i think there is like there is that sense of affection for things like i mean I, i mean this really came together when when Yusuf mentioned that like, you look at the, the different things as maybe a, a child's, um, you know, the main character grew up here, left, and has come back, um, the things he might have been afraid of or enjoyed. And, you know, I think there's probably no better encapsulation of that than the movie which is the, the hay truck, which handles like a beast. <laughs> <It's> like, uh, <laughs> like you yeah. see this thing and it looks like, it's barely like it, it looks like just old well-used farm equipment um but you get in this thing and it's like what you were saying gareth it's like you're just like running these monsters off the road or it's a uh, it's a buggy. It. <laughs> yeah the thing like it rules it's um you know and that's and that's what you know he probably thought about like there are posters for the move all over the place and it's like the only uh it's the only car that you you run into so as a kid Especially a kid in like you know the early twenties or the late tens, like probably be the most incredible thing in the world. Well, there's um, a
2: there's a drawing of y- of you as a of, of the right, main character yeah. as a child sat on his grandfather's knee, being allowed to drive the movable. So I think yeah, you' yeah. really, <clears throat> you're yeah, really exactly. onto something there.
0: And that's I think like the first I think it's like the first picture you see of of them in the notebook i remember seeing that one a lot when you flip to it when you flip back to the beginning of the notebook um but it's it's this kind of thing of like this affection for the place and also an understanding that it's not you know that it's it's also holds a lot of bad stuff in it where the priest says something about because we're like we have to be careful here in mondown because uh, we're so high up and because we're so high up we're closer to heaven but that also means that we're closer to hell at the same time too uh, this this idea that you are you know and not not just physically that they're in this beautiful alpine setting but also you know you you have this kind of gift but it also means that there's this this potential flip side to it constantly and I think that's sums up a lot of kind of the the feeling you have about the location by the time you're done.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that um, that's where a lot of the kind of the, the domestic sort of intimacy side of it comes into focus for me, because it's like, well, you're you're close to heaven and you're close to hell. So what can you do? Well, you can go around the house and you can make sure all the windows are closed. You can, you know, put the teacup and the saucepan back on the on the shelves. Um, you can kind of pay respect to the fact that this this place, you know, the building you're in is, you know somebody's belonging it's it's precious to somebody um and that won't make the devil go away but it will uh, make the devil bearable as it were as a you know a companion that you you are kind of trapped with and i really like actually the one thing that the game does towards the end i think basically because you have to kind of go up the hill through the gates to go back down to the bus stop you have to look up at the uh, mountain peaks again through the gates just before you leave um And I think that's a really nice, just kind of subtle statement of, you know, kind of what the police, uh, the police, (laughs) there are no police in this game. (laughs) The the priest. You are the the police police in this game. (laughs) It's true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a really, that's a like very nice poetic way of putting it. I think that I think the game articulates so well, um, yeah,
2: yeah it's yeah the way the game makes you drink coffee from a cup you can't drink it for, you know like you have to transfer yeah. it from the the pan into a little delicate teacup definitely feels like you're saying edwin that keeping the devil away you know there's something in in the idea of of that that cultural practices or ritual of any kind interact starts to, to interact with the supernatural or the 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 hidden you know that mm. like the reason why those the reason why you close the door or, or, or like shut the window or goes from being something about reality to being something about belief mm. um i do just, have yeah. to
3: i do have to take issue with its its linking of coffee to kind of increasing your kind of stability <laughs> like i don't know, i think you probably get through about 12 cups of coffee or something <laughs> by the, in the course of the game I don't get calmer when i'd have 12 cups of coffee I don't the monsters don't go away <laughs> so but yeah but yeah the ritual itself is, is is reassuring
0: i yeah i was thinking about that i think like when i'm actively drinking the coffee i feel calmer and then you know if this game was was close to real life you would drink it and feel great and then your anxiety would spike <laughs>
2: Yeah, maybe it's a Swiss thing. Just drink, drink coffee to stay calm. I know that they, <laughs> the, the, there was the, the recent um, decision by the Swiss to, to stop um, keeping coffee in their kind of apocalypse vault. I don't know if this was like a very bizarre piece of news, but it, I could help bring it, but bring it to this. mind. <laughs> that there was a, there was, they were hoarding coffee because there's some kind of biological... Protection yeah. vaults in in Switzerland, kind of bunkers, I guess, of of a certain kind, maybe repurposed ones from the Second World War, perhaps, um, used to hold valuable things. And then they the Swiss decided that they were going to give up their stockpile of coffee. So obviously, coffee carries a certain weight <laughs> if it's something that you you stockpile, like it's you know it's like your your um your national product or whatever. But, um, but I don't imagine it's actually made there. But yeah, it's yeah, I think. Definitely, oh. coffee to to make you less scared of the monsters doesn't make any sense at all. It makes me think of that that the kind of meme which is like, you know, I drink, uh, I'm feeling sad, I drink a coffee, and and uh, now my brain is fast and sad. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: is is there anything? I mean, we've been going for a while, and this is this is one of those games that um i played it and it's it's my favorite feeling and i think i was describing it to uh my partner and saying that you know i'm gonna play this game do a podcast about it and then i played a bit i was like oh this is like why i actually still uh keep playing video games this is like the kind of thing that makes me want to play video games and write about them in terms of it's it's something that actually has uh, a lot of substance to it it's um it's like the kind of feeling you don't get that often um where in in games we're not often enough i should say where it's it's something that i feel like there is so much to talk about and there is a lot to keep digging into which is the long way of saying is there anything else that we want to touch on before we start wrapping things up here I'll take that as a
2: yes (laughs) I mean mean, we haven't talked about the goat but it's probably just to (laughs) acknowledge that there is a very good goat um, that that exists and talks to you from your inventory um, if you give it water I believe (laughs) which (laughs) is yeah which reminded me of the one of my favourite all time perhaps maybe the best item in a video game which is the heart in Dishonored which you can kind of point at people and will tell you secrets um and the, the yeah the goat head of Allegria um, that you keep in your inventory felt like it's a it's a wonderful thing that you constantly encounter as well. Whenever you open your inventory, you're like, oh yeah, there's just a there's a goat head in this backpack.
3: Yeah, sometimes uh, it's asleep and sometimes it's it's chatty. And I, I don't know. I, I, I was thinking at the heart of Dunwall as well, and I was just sort of also thinking, imagine if you had like two of these things and you were just in your backpack, basically gossiping about you, <laughs> 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 throwing shade while you get on with the Fetch quests and things.
0: Uh, there's there's a lot of great goat material in this. As a <laughs> uh, as a fan of goats, as as someone who thinks that uh, the, the last two thousand years minimum have given goats a bad rap, especially in horror, uh, I appreciate that the goats uh, were, if anything, a source of comfort in this game. Uh, even when it's a severed head speaking to you i think it's it's still a comforting presence um, yeah there's you see the black goat walk up to you for the first time and you're like oh fuck. this going <laughs> to yeah. be this is going to be a black philip type situation and i love the witch i'm not going to talk shit about black philip but uh it was it was nice to have that not be the exact thing going on here yeah um, instead
2: you get to stroke the goat that's the first. That's the interaction you get with that black goat. It's definitely yeah. very, very self aware. Um, and it's actually it, it, at the end um, when you go out into that pristine version of the town. The first one of the first things you see out the door is a is a happy goat kind of walking down the road. And I can't believe that that's just random to me. I was like, that has to be the goat show to up.
0: Scripted. They keep showing up at moments of it's. It's like they're. Um you know, like Resident Evil safe rooms or something. Or... <laughs> I, I think when you're making that dash down the mountain at the end, uh, a black goat shows up at one point and just kind of, you know, just to chill you out a little bit.
3: It's also the doorkeeper yeah. in the maze, the black goat. Yeah. It's kind of oh, yeah. secretly pivotal. It's like it's like the dog in the secret ending for Silent Hill, isn't it? It's just kind of pulling the strings. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. I... Yusuf, you'll you'll know exactly what the the door goat is when you when you come across it. It's mm-hmm. it's a really wait. wonderful. I love yeah, I, lo- I love a good there. goat.
1: I yeah, I definitely appreciate being able to pet the goat. They need to they need to we need to petition the pet the dog account to include this moment as well.
0: Yeah. Um yeah so i don't know any anything else we want to get to or should i just think of things that i wish that we had brought up like five minutes after we get off this call
1: i mean i think i feel like we followed a pretty good arc of uh talking about the game and ending and you know wrapping up wrapping it up with the idyllic ending with a twist
0: (laughs) um yeah we didn't even reference wicker man
3: I think I did. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it was a moment oh, no, of weakness. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, the Wicker Man actually would be, I think, if you could do a, a, a sort of double feature, play a game and watch a movie. The Wicker Man would be a good one. It's also not, Midsummer. yeah. I mean, I I, I couldn't
1: not think about Midsummer though, obviously.
0: Midsummer, though. but I mean, like it does do the thing where it's <laughs> like,
1: I mean, it has a lot of interesting overlap just in terms of like, um, it being so bright, and and like yeah. using and like kind of, inc- basically tying horror into, what does it mean when there's no dark? I mean, though well, this game does employ that, but or it does employ night, but it, it has that element of just like, generally this world is pretty bright and not traditionally horrifying. So how, you know, where where else do they insert the horror?
0: And
2: mountainous as well. I um, think um, if I had to double feature it. I'd- I'd rather put it with um Alexei German's Hard to Be a God or something by Bellatar or something like that, because I think the the low contrast monochrome and the folklore and the kind of just just made me think of that kind of genre of um Eastern and Central European cinema that, that um I forget which Bellatar film it is, where the whale is brought to the town by the circus in a a giant stuffed whale is brought to uh to a town in in Hungary and the the main character goes to see it um in the darkness this is like this dark truck with the body of a stuffed whale inside it um and it just really, yeah it just the, the kind of the the time period and the kind of particular surreality of early modernity felt like something that this was a, that the game was tapping into in a very particular way but um, that probably tells you more about the kind of films that I force people (laughs) to watch when they come to my house
0: great night at Gareth's house (laughs) I I
2: did do a movie night where I showed everyone how to be a god Um, but it's like three hours of uh, black and white basically like it, it's like cinema verite Monty Python. It's just like mud and peasants um, filmed as if it was reality TV on a beautiful black and white camera. So yeah, I don't think, I don't think many of my friends will forgive me for, for putting them through that one.
3: It's a recommendation.
2: Yeah. It's very good. <laughs> Incredibly good. <laughs> if you like this game, hard to be a is Yeah. But just make sure you're, you've got three hours spare to, to watch the mud slinging.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that also when you said three hours spare uh another great recommendation for this game i would say is that it um it doesn't it doesn't go on longer than it needs to um it's like very i thought like uh, economical it's it moves well it's uh it it shows you what it's trying to show you and you can spend more time if you want poking around but it's it's not um yeah, I don't know. I'm just I hate when I hear myself and I just sound like someone who has played too many games for too long and it's just like what I like about this game is it's not other games that play
1: <laughs> No, but I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, most games don't have this level of care and thoughtfulness in how they put their worlds together. It's just like incredibly incredibly rare. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like with, kudos to this game for, for being able to pull that off.
0: Yeah, a uh, true, uh, a strong, powerful seven out of ten. I would <laughs> say, if I had to, yeah. uh, actually, I should have. That's what I should have asked you, Edwin, right away. Is the one of us who's reviewed this is uh, what to get out
3: of a hundred? Uh, it did, in fact, get a seven out of ten. But I feel a bit guilty about it because, again, I feel like I had a slightly sort of capital G gamer response to the combat where I was just like, oh, but it's not as polished as, I don't know, like Devil May Cry or, I don't know, some game, <laughs> game, some that, game awesome that has 800 people working on it.
2: <laughs> to, to be fair, that that is the edge scale. Yeah. So, uh, like the, yeah, the 7 it, out of 10 pretty... is, is I mean, I say that because Another Water has got a 7 out of 10 in edge. So, so oh. that's like the best you can get. So it's a perfectly respectable score, basically. Yeah. I'm, worth, I'm, I'm, it's I'm secretly be the best in the same score. company as Mundown.
1: I mean, really, it's like a, it's like yeah, it's like I a think, parabolic score. You get, get above seven, it's actually worse. Seven is the best <laughs> yeah, score.
0: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the the funny thing is, I think it was in other waters, uh, combat sequences that really knocked a few, <laughs> <laughs> knocked a lot off the top. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You didn't find, that's just because you didn't find all
2: the training manuals for, for Ellery's oh, Malou <laughs> skills. When you had to punch that large crab at the end.
0: Yeah, that was a weird left turn. That was yeah. yeah. It's why you're such an exciting developer to watch. Here. Yeah, yeah. The things I do with QTEs. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, well yeah, let's uh, let's wrap it up here, I think. Um is there anything we want to say or i guess the first thing to do oh god bad at ending these things uh let's go first edwin where can people find you and uh maybe mention something that you want to point people toward just anything you've written recently or stuff you have on the horizon
3: oh well thank you um i uh well i guess i've just i, I submitted something to the alternative ecologies Jam, which is on itch and is kind of being organized in partnership with Critical Distance. Um, And it's basically a very simple sort of off-the-cuff storytelling game in which two people tell each other about a garden and a bunch of other people have to draw or write about or otherwise respond to the garden. And then you kind of share the results and everybody goes, hmm, okay," and hopefully has a a more positive reaction. It's kind of an exploration of gardens as... um, positive and negative um, forces in human culture, I guess is the short way of putting it Um, and I guess I should recommend this issue of Edge again, which is um, on sale now in the UK and um, has Deathloop on the cover Um, and yeah, more broadly I'm I'm found sort of semi-regularly at Eurogamer and um, PC Gamer, I've got something in PC Gamer that's about mazes, which was a lot of fun to put together and I will resist the urge to now go off on a huge tangent about it (laughs) Sounds fun (laughs)
0: Um, uh, Gareth, what do you want to what do you want to plug? Superculture, Mm. mention Superculture at least. Superculture.
2: I mean, you said bad end just before by accident. I thought was quite clever. Oh (laughs) no, that was said. I'm so bad at ending these things.
0: (laughs) Oh, that was intentional, of course. (laughs) Yeah, I thought so
2: smooth. Um, no, yeah, Superculture, Heterotopias. Uh, The pitching pitching just closed. I think for the new issue of Heterotopias, which will be about power. Um, so I'm going to sort through a lot of people's incredible pictures and figure out how I'm going to fit as many as possible into the the zine because I've got so many good ones. Um, and that will be coming out this year, um, a new issue of Heterotopias on Power. And if you don't know what Heterotopias is and you want to figure out what it is, it's about, um, game spaces and architecture. And, um, there are seven issues of it that you can find on heterotopiazine.com. Um, and you can find me generally on twitter at, at jump over the age or you can find my seven out of ten game on <laughs> jumpovertheage.com. it's called in other waters um and it's made by me and i'm gonna be announcing a new game soon as well which is very exciting
0: oh yeah when on, hurry.
2: uh in, in under a month
0: wow okay is that the exclusive
2: that's the exclusive. I haven't told anybody. It's been it? in, under, in April. You, there you go. I think
0: when you're ready to announce it, we should put banner ads on bullet points. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's part of the superculture family bonus yeah. program. That's,
0: that's we keep right.
2: saying superculture because superculture is, if you don't know, you're somehow listening to this yes. podcast and you don't know. Superculture is the the frame under which heterotopias. And bullet points and bad end, and a new amazing video game magazine called Funland, uh, all exist under, and we all help each other out to find new audiences. And, and yeah, this is this is part of it,
0: that's right. And, uh, Yusuf, what do you yes, got going we have
1: on? Bullet points,
0: and oh, the that anthology, I gotta buy that.
1: Um, wait, which one? <laughs> I don't
0: know what you're talking about. The the, the uh, anthology about death. Oh
1: yes, yes, of course. Um, yeah, I just uh, co-wrote an a essay with my wife Vivian uh, for the a, a zine called Endings, I believe. Um, yes, I'm terrible at this. I, I totally forgot I wrote wrote for this, but um, it's yes, an anthology about death in games. And the digital zine, also a print version, I think, should still be available. Um, And that is out and available. And we are also wrapping up at bullet points our month on the medium, which Edwin contributed to, as well as Reed and I and Ty. uh, Ty Gal is... Oh, my God. I forgot their last name. Mm -hmm. Bro. Boom. I'm so terrible at this. But I'm gonna f- power through, um, <laughs> and so all those essays are up and available, and are great, and we really probably the only website <laughs> that talked about that game uh, in any um, in, in in any depth. This is probably not true. I know you guys write for other websites that have talked about the game, but come on, Bullet Points did a great job here in in expounding on the game, and next month will be probably this month but by the time you're hearing this will be outriders we're going to cover that
0: only only polish video games from this point forward <laughs> <laughs> that's the bullet points promise i think we've gone <laughs> uh, cyberpunk uh, the medium to outriders yeah uh, is... we're actually relocating to poland <laughs> uh, it's just a new thing this is all part of a... Yeah, we're financed. The <laughs> bullet points is actually financed by yeah. the Polish government. Which we <laughs> had sort punch. of... We had kind of uh, some pretty intense conversations about whether or not to take the uh, the current Polish government's money, but we decided it's for the best. And so... <laughs> Grin. And the new logo is a double-headed eagle <laughs> oh, with uh, no. swords <laughs> in its claws. And, Anyway, oh, yes, uh, we um, are. Yeah, we are in a
1: we are in something of a of a combo, of a Polish combo, um, but very much looking forward to uh, covering Outriders because it it looks like a, I mean, it's, it's it looks like an interesting game, honestly, and I think they will be they'll meet we,
0: there. We want to have some goddamn fun once in a while, okay? <laughs> we want to shoot some some aliens. I don't know what you're um, talking about.
1: I'm going to be approaching this with a critical eye. And we have one. <laughs> I mean, we have like a, some kind of history book of of uh, future societies open in one hand, one out yeah. one eye while I play the game, and you know it's good. Yeah.
0: Very serious. That's why I won't play co-op with yeah, you. I I, be,
2: I just saw a trailer for Outriders, which used the Grimes track "We Appreciate Power" in <laughs> an entirely unironic <laughs> way. So I think that that kind of yeah, oh, it's going to be. Well, so, let, don't judge a book by its marketing. Obviously, Cyberpunk is a clear example of that. So. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I was I've been waiting for somebody to do that, for somebody to use that track in an in an unironic <laughs> way. So I'm glad they yeah. got there first.
0: I thought it would be used for like the next Wolfenstein or something. Really good. <laughs> oh God.
3: I do think, I'm, I'm, I look forward to reading the essays that come out of that, because I played a little bit of the demo for that, and um, yeah, it, it has that sort of bullet-stormy um, balance of dumb, but with an underpinning of you know, actually there's more to this, and it's certainly got one of the more interesting takes on interplanetary colonialism yes. that I've seen at that sort of budget level basically.
0: Yes, I, I think Yusuf was like, or we both downloaded the demo and we're like yeah hey, we should just look at this thing just to see if it's something worth because it has this demo why not and i think i played an hour and i messaged you Yusuf, and i was like man i got already some pitches in mind for this <laughs> thing it's it's uh it's definitely it's it's interesting i don't know you know what that'll be when it's all when you play the entire thing but it's it's an interesting thing at least so far from what i've seen um yeah, and so yeah. If you're listening to this, also please yeah go read as Yusuf was saying, uh, Bullet Points Monthly, uh, BulletPointsMonthly.com is where you'll find that. And then uh, please, for the love of God, just donate to our Patreon. Um, it's like not at this point. It's not even because I like am still harboring any notion that we'll ever make money. It's just we have this goal now where we get to play Halo. Uh, Yusuf and I are going to co-op Halo and I think we're like 30 bucks shy of it and it's like taking 300 gigabytes on my hard drive <laughs> and I like, like I want to play it too it's like a really <laughs> tiny violin playing so, right
1: now in the background okay, yeah. the, of the track. <laughs>
2: I can I'm hear not. the phones ringing already in the background <laughs>
0: this is my PBS thing listen we're never going to actually make real money but I want to play Halo so <laughs> Like I cannot
1: play it. It's on my hard drive. I cannot op- press the button to open it until you give me the. not allowed. Yeah.
0: When I launch it, I get this error message yeah. from the Polish government. <laughs> to you. you get a stinking pain. You get a we migraine. Were...
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, patreoncom slash points If you go there, and then also uh, when you're there on Bullet Points Monthly, uh, click on the little Super Culture banner and go check out. Bad end go check out heterotopias and go check out funland um all of those except for heterotopias have patreons uh gareth is independently wealthy um <laughs> <laughs> so he, he not not necessary for heterotopias
2: yeah um, yeah I'm independently wealthy from selling non-physical <laughs> architecture zines
0: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's where the real money is um Yeah, so that'll do it. Uh, Thank you all for making the time to talk about this game. And we'll see you next time. Later. Thank you.